0: This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Very, very important conversation around a topic that I think a lot of people would like to bet some more information on and that is sleep and we've got a wonderful coach here and somebody that is really gifted at that and uh, we're going to talk to her in just a moment but first i have to talk to my friend uh, nathan how are you sir
1: (laughs) (laughs) whoa whoa is there a radio show going on oh sorry whoa uh uh, sorry i I was (laughs) sleeping there
0: very nice. I'm glad. See, you're young. You can probably sleep at the drop of a hat. When you get a little older, or you're a baby, then we're going to talk about both today. It, it becomes a little bit more of a problem.
1: Yeah, it can be. I've noticed that a few times. I actually just recently got a new pillow because I'm feeling like maybe my neck has been a little bit stiff in the morning. You no, know, just part of getting old. So, changed my pillow to a memory foam out of a typical whatever normal pillow. And been working wonders.
0: Good. You didn't buy it from that pillow guy, did you? No, 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 no. Yeah. Good, a good, good old yeah. Costco. Good. Costco's a good place to go do that kind of thing and uh, and stuff. So, by the way, um, I'm hearing that it's cold. I don't get to go outside much because I'm on restriction. But I, I'm, I'm hearing that it's cold. Are we going to get snow at all? Uh, it's a
1: little bit. Rain and snow mix is in the forecast. But, I mean, if you're outside and you're in the sun, it's going to be warm a very sunny day today but if you get into a place that's maybe shielded for the sun or in shade then it is going to be quite chilly
0: yeah indeed it is it's it's cold and and i i'm hoping that it'll it's we're almost into march so i'm hoping that that will all improve over time and i'm really excited about our show today because we've got a young lady with us who has been through the war. Um, her second child. Uh, can you imagine? Now you 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 don't have any kids yet, do you? Nope, just a Roomba. Seems like a kid what? sometimes. <laughs> I would just think about this. You have a baby, and first of all, when you have a baby, you don't get like a week off to recover. No. And stuff. all of a sudden, it's like the next day that baby is there. Can you imagine if your child wasn't sleep, w- woke up twelve times a night? every night for five months. Could you imagine what that would do to you?
1: I have a niece who just turned one, so I know all the stories of, you know, a mother with a very young child is a 24-7 never-ending job.
0: And never-sleeping job in some cases Mm -hmm. because kids have to learn how to do all that and our coach today she is a gentle sleep coach and we're going to ask her all about that andrea moore is with us andrea how are you today and thank you for being here and i'm glad you survived
2: hi kevin thank you for having me here i'm well rested today
0: (laughs) that's that's good well um You are rested now, but there was a point in time. And by the way, uh, I highly suggest that everybody go to her website, which is BlissfulNights.ca, And she's got some free videos there. And you can look at that. And she's got classes and she's got, uh, you can work with her one-on-one. Because as we discussed in our previous talk together, sleep is kind of an important part of our lives, isn't it?
2: Just a little bit kind
0: of changes everything. Well, and it's just as important. They say now, whoever they are, that it's as important as eating and and getting, you know, having a good mental attitude and all of those things. Sleep plays into that a great deal, doesn't it?
2: Oh, sleep plays into our physical health, our emotional well-being, our mental well-being. It pretty much impacts us in all areas of life.
0: And what was it like having your child and knowing that your child was going to get up 10 to 12 times that night, every night.
2: Yeah, that, that was ridiculously hard. I was hit with postpartum depression and anxiety very early on, likely within the first week. I remember in that, that first eight days, he slept about one hour per 24 hour period And by day eight, I was hallucinating. I tried to go up the street for a walk and I almost blacked out walking across the road. I had to turn around and just go back home. I had nothing. And it got slightly better than that, but it was still very broken sleep for for many months. Uh, We would be awakened every 20 minutes to 45 minutes. Occasionally we would get a 90 minute stretch Oh man, that that must have felt like we've made it. I got ninety whole minutes. Uh, it's amazing how refreshing ninety minutes feels when you only get that once a month. <laughs> and and the poor the poor little guy he
0: he broke his clavicle during the birth and and all of that. So he he had a rough beginning. How's he doing today? By the way,
2: he he's doing fantastic today. He's a great sleeper now, easily eleven hours at night. He's eight years old. And he's, uh, he's one of my greatest little teachers, all my my kids are, but he is the reason that I made this switch and why I do what I do now. Because I remember that time when life solely revolved around getting just one hour of sleep. If someone if my mom could come over and hold him for an hour, just so I could try to sleep in the daytime. Everything was consumed with just needing to sleep, I had no energy to function. And just knowing the process of getting him to sleep, there's so much anxiety knowing that evening was coming and what I was heading into.
0: Well, now you are an educated woman and and you were doing things before this. What did you do before this?
2: Yeah, so my background is in psychology, social work fields. And right before switching into pediatric sleep, I worked at Big Brothers Big Sisters and before that, I worked at Canadian Mental Health Association.
0: Oh wow, so you've been in and been in around mental health and the effects that sleep has on your mental health for like a long time
2: absolutely. The focus was definitely more mental health, but since branching out into pediatric sleep, I did a lot more training on infant mental health and breastfeeding, and just really understanding early childhood development, because there's so many vulnerable periods of development little ones go through in the first couple of years of life. If we're doing any kind of coaching or setting boundaries where there could be emotions happening with that, I want to make sure that we're supporting a baby or a child through that.
0: What is it like for the little one I, I realized it was really hard on you, but what was it like for him not being able to get the rest that he needed as well?
2: I think he was getting rest. So in the first year of life, a lot of babies do have somewhat more broken sleep. His situation was a bit more extreme than a lot, but it's often the parents who wake up more fully to get the baby back to sleep, and we either stay awake by holding them or keeping them asleep. So we're staying awake, and they're being helped back to sleep over and over. And one of the reasons it impacts us more is our sleep cycle is longer an adult sleep cycle cycle is closer to 90 minutes, whereas a baby's is about 40 to 50 minutes. So if we're awakened every 45 minutes, we've only made it halfway through a sleep cycle.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I understand. I've been there. I, I, I do that occasionally. Uh, don't don't get, make it through an entire sleep cycle. But I got to applaud you because um, this was your middle child, right?
2: That's right.
0: Well, you actually had another one. So, so <laughs> that, I applaud you for continuing that process because I would have been like, uh-uh, no, he ain't going through that again.
2: Yeah, it took a good six, seven months of solid sleep before that thought could even enter my mind again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, because sleep is such a big deal, I wanted to have you talk about it and uh, all of its relationships, to. Now, you, you specialize in pa- pa- pediatric sleep for the young ones, but it also affects older folks, doesn't
2: it? Oh, absolutely. I work with babies and young children up to about the age of six or seven. But our little ones, if they're not sleeping well, then we're not sleeping well as parents. And the symptoms of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are almost identical to the symptoms of extreme sleep deprivation.
0: You know, I was talking with a young lady just the other day, and she had postpartum depression, which, by the way, I think is a much bigger deal than we make it out to be. Um, and many more people have it, um, and stuff. And she, they prescribed. So I can't remember. It was a long name and I can't remember the medication they gave her, but they prescribed this medication that had severe withdrawal attached to it. When, so they gave her this and didn't tell her about that until after she had uh, been on the medication for a while. Do you, um, is, is medicating someone with postpartum depression a good idea, or what do you think?
2: So I, I'm not a doctor to advise on this, but I feel like...
0: I've not the experience,
2: though. Very true, very true. So I, I was also offered medication for the postpartum depression and anxiety that I was experiencing, but it intuitively did not feel like the best choice for me because I knew that it stemmed from sleep deprivation. And I knew if I could resolve the sleep challenges, I would likely feel better. And once I figured out a way to do that, that didn't involve just leaving my baby alone to cry, which also intuitively did not feel right, within a month of that, my symptoms started to ease.
0: Why is it that, and I know friends and family are, they're they're out after our best good and they've got advice for us and they want us to to get the best advice. Why is it that a lot of people say, well, you know, you're just going to have to let that baby cry.
2: I think that was, like, generationally, that was what was most advised in our parents' generation or grandparents' generation, And so the two kind of two answers to this: one, Google was not so wasn't available at all in those generations, so they would sit with their baby more. They'd spend more time tapping into their intuition and what is my baby telling me, and reading cues and observing them, and learning through trial and error. Whereas now, I think we're so quick to jump on Google. My baby's fussing. What do I do? Without taking that time to really just sit with them. And the the root emotion of tired is frustration. It's not a fun feeling to be tired. If we think about how we feel when we're tired, sometimes we might need to cry. Little ones will express frustration through some tears. And we went from just leave your baby to cry to the opposite end of being scared to let our babies ever cry. And that's like saying it's not okay for our babies. Ever to feel uncomfortable emotions, which is it's unrealistic. It's setting ourselves up as for failure as parents. If we expect to keep them in this happy little bubble all the time, they're going to feel tired, they're going to feel frustrated, they're going to feel mad. Life isn't always going to go their way. And it's okay to feel these uncomfortable feelings too. There's a place for those emotions. We don't need to Uh, send the message. Nope. Don't feel tired. Look at something shiny. Let's go eat chocolate in a pantry. We can all learn those coping strategies later in life. It's okay to feel it. Sometimes it's understanding. Yeah, they're tired. It's nap time. Of course they're tired or it's bedtime. They're fussing Or, or a bit of crying. That would be a normal expression for babies. We can support them through that, sending that energy of, yeah, I'm here with you this is tired, we've got this, as opposed to going into panic mode. Oh no, my baby's crying, something's wrong, it's my responsibility, I'm only a good parent if I can fix this. Sometimes offering support and love and comfort, but letting them feel whatever they're feeling is the best thing that we can offer them.
0: That's that's really sound advice. I, I remember when we had our first child, and he was he's he's to this day he's 34 and he's still very um stubborn and so he was a stubborn baby and when he didn't want to go to sleep there he was not going to go to sleep so i distinctly remember we were told and we were told by both of our parents that uh why just kind of let him cry it out just let him cry it out so so we were Cowering on our bed as he was screaming in the next room for like thirty minutes before we finally relented and said, "This kid is a lot stronger than we are, so he's he's going to keep crying for like ever and uh, and stuff." So, but by the time we had our second kid, it was like, "Ah, yeah, just let him cry; he'll be fine."
2: (laughs) Once and some crying is a useful function. Like we when we release tears of. Frustration, anger, sadness, uh, something doesn't go our way, we're really irritable. When we release tears that stem from those emotions, there are actually toxins released in our tears, there are stress hormones released, we get a boost of oxytocin after, it's healthy to let ourselves let those emotions out through some tears and to let our babies do some of that too. Um, The other type of crying, so that's what we would call tension release crying, so letting those emotions out. The other type of crying, which we do want to avoid, is something called tension increase crying. This is when a baby or a young child has gone beyond their own ability to regulate, and they're no longer showing signs of trying to work through whatever emotion is that they're feeling. And when we go into that stage, and it's more likely to go here with younger babies. So under under six months, we're more likely to cross that line. But this is when a baby's stress response could be activated. They're potentially in fight, flight, or freeze. They don't learn from this stage. This is survival mode. So it's not productive to go there with coaching. But I feel like most parents don't, get the knowledge or the education on what those two different types of crying look like. And one of the biggest keys to determining the difference between the types of crying is watching body language. What is that baby doing with their body when they're crying? Because if they're feeling a big emotion and trying to work through it, that's a good thing. We wanna encourage that. That's learning emotional regulation. We wanna cheer them on, offer support we don't wanna jump in and interrupt that process. So when a baby is crying and exhibiting a lot of body language, so they could be thumping their legs, moving their head back and forth, arms might be going all over the place, As they progress in motor skills, you might see a baby sitting up, laying down, crawling around the crib, standing up, doing gymnastics everywhere. It does not look like an adult trying to fall asleep. So get that image out of your mind. Babies are very mobile. That feeling of being tired is an uncomfortable feeling within the body. And they try to work through that feeling by moving their bodies.
0: Ah, see. My oldest son wanted to move out of the house when he was like 18 months old because he got tired of us. And he, he he was like, "I could be on my own." Because his his was and literally was an angry cry. If he didn't get what he wanted, he was just pissed. I mean, really angry.
2: I I can empathize with that. I have three zero to one hundred kids with the big emotions. I call them wonderfully spirited. And this is is more a temperament trait. So it's not necessarily the volume or intensity of the crying that tells us if it's tension-release crying or tension-increase crying. That more comes down to temperament. There are probably some adults you might be able to think of who express themselves more loudly than others. And little ones are the same. And for little ones who go from zero to 100 quickly over everything, they're not distressed every five minutes. They're just letting us know very clearly. I don't like that. That bothered me, and they can, at uh, they can feel that feeling of being tired somewhat more intensely. It bothers them more than it might their easygoing counterpart.
0: So, if somebody would like to talk to you and like to work with you, what does that look like? Uh, because I know that um, you've obviously, and by the way, go to blissful nights.ca and you can find out all the information about her. But if somebody has a problem with um, a a child and the, their sleep patterns are disrupted, and I got another one for you, so so when we get this out, we'll talk about that. But um, but but how do you how do you help them? What's a, what's it look like when you work with someone?
2: Usually, what I do is I start with a free introductory phone call just to get a feel for what their needs are, and I. I do have two different streams of support. So one is personal support, where they fill out history assessment, seven page form gives me a full picture of their little one, age, um, stage of development, their history, their routine, their sleep environment, temperament, as well as their goals. I always work to help a parent meet their goals, not my own. And then I do write up a plan. I write it out night by night. Although 80% chance a little one is not going to follow a plan is laid out. They're all individual little humans. I expect them to go about it in their own way. And that's okay. I don't do cookie cutter plans and say just stick to it no matter what. We use the plan more as a guideline or a starting point. We try it out. Once we see how the little one reacts, how they feel about it, we make changes and adjustments as we go. They also have access to my video library. So I do have them watch about 45 minutes worth of videos before we work together. And the videos cover sleep shaping topics, which is just understanding how sleep works, how to set up a sleep-inducing environment, how to figure out their little one's schedule, no templates uh, I want to figure out. I want to teach parents how to figure out their own baby's schedule so that they can adapt it as their baby grows. And then we have a one-hour consult, usually over Zoom, where I walk them through the steps of their sleep plan. We talk a lot about emotional regulation and how to tell the different types of crying and how to tailor their response to the different types of crying or or fussing. So there's no. Uh, sit in a chair. You're only allowed to respond after eight minutes or fifteen minutes. Some babies mildly fuss or, you know, suck on their toes and fingers for twenty minutes. They don't need intervention. They're doing fine. I and wish I, could children, I I, I yep, yeah, that's a special talent when we could get those toes in the mouth.
0: <laughs> I'm not nearly that flexible anymore, but that would be no. nice anyway. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted you.
2: Oh, that's okay. So some some little ones go from zero to hundred a lot more quickly. So we're not going to wait 10 minutes for the little one who is escalating really quickly. We're going to offer support sooner rather than later for those ones. And the other ones who are fine with a bit more space and playing with their body parts as they fall asleep, uh, they're, they're okay for a little bit longer. And then we uh, increase the challenge level as the baby rises to that challenge. So we might start out with in-arms coaching, getting them comfortable falling asleep with a lower level of help, but a high level of support when they're doing great there. Then we ask them to do it on a flat surface. So nothing's cold turkey. um, And usually over the course of a week and a half to two weeks, we've either reached our night goals or we're about 80 to 90% of the way there.
0: Uh, that has got to make people feel really encouraged if they can see positive signs.
2: Absolutely. And I've worked with well over 1,500 little ones through this process. So sometimes I can see, I can pull out the positives. Like, this is great. Your little one fell asleep in 28 minutes. It felt like a long 28 minutes, but that's that means it wasn't even a huge challenge what we asked them to do. If they're falling asleep in 30 minutes or less, that's a
0: sign that they're coping really well. Oh, that's that's good. By the way, if you'd like to give us a call, Nathan, are you there, sir? Yes, Kevin, I'm here. First of all, I want to know, can you, you're younger than I am, can you suck on your toes? Can I?
1: I'm uh, <laughs> uh, not sure if I can do that anymore. It's been a while uh, since I tried.
0: If somebody would like to give us a call, what numbers do they use? They can give us a call at
1: 425-373-5527. And we also have a f- toll-free phone number at one 298 5569 And if you're joining us on the YouTube or Facebook stream, you can see that on your screen as well. Just write it down, put it in your speed dial, and give us a call. 425-373-5527 or toll-free
0: 888-298-5569. And we're talking with Andrea Moore, and she is a, a gentle sleep. Coach, she She helps young ones, and uh, and the people that are associated with the young ones all have a restful night's sleep. Because I imagine that when you do your work and baby's doing better, and mom and dad are getting more rest, the the entire stress level of the house goes down.
2: Well, absolutely. And when we're when we as parents are in a calm, regulated space, our children tend to behave better. It's usually when we're stressed that all hell breaks loose and they have the bigger behaviors or the bigger emotions. In the first few years of life, babies and young children, they don't self-soothe or self-regulate, they co-regulate. So that means they learn emotional regulation with a parent close by or a caregiver close by offering presence and able to stay as calm, non-reactive and loving as possible. And I know easier said than done.
0: Good point. No kidding. Um, but I, after the break, I want to talk to you about my youngest son who has got a, a four-year-old child. And uh, she's a quote unquote, what they call on the spectrum. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that there are a lot and lots and lots and lots and lots of little ones that are on the spectrum in some manner or form. And I think it's important that, that we understand what they're going through in their world. And I know that you've had
2: experience with that as well. Absolutely.
0: Very good. We're talking again with Andrea Moore, and she is a sleep coach. And um, she she worked with – oh, before we go – I got to ask you about Kim West.
2: I'm I'm unfamiliar
0: with her. Tell me about her.
2: Kim is the uh, wonderful human who started the gentle sleep coach organization. So she uh, started this, I, I, I don't have the exact number of how many years ago, but I think it's been at least a couple of decades. So she's one of the leaders in the fields of pediatric sleep and she's, offering parents other methods other than cry it out and what I loved about her training program was it included breastfeeding and looking into medical issues that might be impacting sleep and early childhood development there is so much more to her training than a lot of the comparable options out there and she's such a wonderful support in creating a beautiful community of gentle sleep coaches across the world with such a wide variety of backgrounds and expertise to to come together and yeah help parents get better sleep
0: yes indeed and then when we come back because we're going to take a break we're going to talk about my granddaughter and but I also want to mention the fact that you mentioned breastfeeding and that there are some things that you can do to make it a, a little bit more comfortable for both mom and baby. Because uh, uh, my, my poor wife, when her youngest son, he was what we would call a vacuum sucker. And he, he had a lot of power behind him. And, and it hurt. It hurt mm-hmm. a lot. And But there are things that you can do to to help with that, I I do believe. So when we come back, we'll talk about all of that. Stay with us. By the way, we're talking with Andrea Moore. She's a sleep coach. BlissfulNights.ca. Go there. And if you need help, don't wait. You're missing a good night's sleep. You can get that if you you talk to her. So uh, we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to Positive Doc Radio right here on KKNW, 1150 a.m. hey there I'm excited that you're listening right now and if you like what we're doing here you're gonna love positivetalkradio.net On positivetalkradio.net each show which is recorded live is packed with positive information with real people discussing real issues and positive solutions that can work for everyone I hope that you'll join us on positivetalkradio.net and listen to all 340 plus shows. I think it's worth your time. But then, that's just me. That's positivepodcastradio.net, your home for great progressive positive podcasts.
2: When you want to
1: say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is a-naturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. A natural at your fingertips today.
0: Hey, my friend, I'd really like to thank you for listening to the show today. As you may know, I started positive talk radio way back in 2003. We were one of the first shows on KKNW. For 11 months, I was fortunate to be part of many lives, making a positive difference with great interviews and discussions, creating new thoughts and ideas. Sadly, for financial reasons, I had to terminate the show. Well, it took 18 years, but we're back better than ever. And not only on KKNW Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, but also podcasting with several inspiring channels with the same driving passion as the original. Please visit KMmedia.pro for complete information about all of these shows. In addition, if you feel called to keep positive programming on the air, you can join us by sponsoring the show and aligning yourself with our mission, which is nothing short of saving the planet and each other. Again, that's kmmedia.pro. I'll see you there. And welcome back, everybody, to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald. Andrea Moore is there. She's a gentle sleep coach. She is the gentle sleep coach, I must say. And she uh works with folks all over the world. Uh she lives in Canada, um, which is why her website is blissfulnights.ca. But uh, you can pick up the phone and you can give her a call or you can email her and she'd be happy to help you get through some of the issues that you have so that you can improve sleep. But before we go there, I got I'm going to start promoting this a little bit now. Uh, Nathan, guess what? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. He had to go running to the mic. I just love doing. Actually, he's running was... for my headphones, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what happens in uh, late April? What happens in
1: late April? Hmm. I know Easter is involved, but I'm not sure when
0: Easter is. Well, there's there's a uh, a radio show that's going to a brand new radio show that's going to be on uh, a Kixy. Ooh,
1: brand new radio show. Always nice Let's... to get new radio shows in our
0: stations. But it's it's not it's not a new radio show. It's my show. And uh we're gonna be we're adding an hour on Kixie Light three o'clock on Friday, and this is gonna be late April. I just had to say that. I'm so excited about it. Do you have a idea which
1: week or is that still to be determined? Do you have a time slot? Uh, Anything else you want to share?
0: Uh it's uh three o'clock on Fridays. It's Friday afternoons.
1: Okay. So it's
0: gonna be drive time on Friday, but I think I think it starts uh, April 20th or 27th, right around in there.
1: Yeah, so the, you said it's on Fridays? So it's that'll be, up. yeah, the, the 21st or the 28th?
0: 28th, I believe. Uh, well, it might be the 21st. <laughs> <laughs> I really should, you know, write this stuff down before I start talking about it, I know.
1: Well, so, if you hear a bunch of dead air, then Kevin got
0: the wrong date. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, Andrew Moore is with us in the... Uh, my granddaughter can i talk to you about my poor granddaughter
2: absolutely
0: she is um she has sleep problems she didn't sleep through the night she stays up till two o'clock in the morning and uh, before she's willing to fall asleep and so they when they had her tested and they discovered that and i'm not even sure I, I know exactly what this means and I think I'm not alone in this. Uh, they said, well, uh, it appears that she's on the spectrum. I don't even know what that exactly means. Do you know
2: how you do you have any experience with autistic children? I absolutely do. So, my kids are diagnosed on the spectrum or autistic. And one thing that's important to understand is it's a very wide spectrum of different clusters of traits to have that diagnosis. I do encounter a lot of sleep challenges with the neurodiverse population. It's that much harder to, to fall asleep. Sometimes um, with autistic children, it might be relation in relation to how their body produces melatonin or the amount of melatonin that their body produces. And sometimes it's just Harder for them to process and deal with the feeling of being tired and to accept the boundary around going to sleep. So, some of it absolutely with sleep can be behavioral, some of it can be biological as well.
0: What does it matter if their body isn't producing melatonin very much?
2: Well, melatonin is something really helpful for sleep. Generally, we as humans produce our peak levels for the time that we fall asleep, and it assists us in falling asleep and staying asleep for about the first two thirds of the night. So if we don't have peak levels, it's just that much harder to fall asleep. There's one other chemical that helps us fall asleep. That's a chemical called adenosine or sleep pressure. So that builds up in our body as the day goes on to be at peak levels by bedtime as well when we have peak levels of sleep pressure that line up with peak levels of melatonin that's like that magic combination that helps us fall asleep quickly
0: now when you become an adult you can supplement with things like i don't know uh uh, a beer or vodka or something like that that'll put you to sleep but the sleep isn't really high quality when you do that sort of thing
2: and they don't recommend that for children
0: <laughs> no no you you can lose your your kids if you, if you if you use that but now can you supplement children with uh melatonin and that kind of thing do they recommend doing that i have no idea
2: Yes, that would be a conversation to have with a doctor but usually we would want to try everything we can do before moving to that step because supplementing with a synthetic melatonin isn't the same as what the body produces. So, and there isn't a lot of long-term research on the impacts of melatonin supplementation in little ones. So there, luckily there is a lot that we can do to increase the body's ability to produce melatonin. And a lot of that is looking at a light, dark routine So many times parents out of their memories of being scared as an older child will introduce a nightlight into a younger child's room or a baby's room thinking, well, they're crying. They must be afraid of the dark. Little ones, babies are not born afraid of the dark. We're born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Other fears come along with the development of imagination, which kicks in around two and a half to three years of age, So if it's in the first couple of years, it's not scared. It's likely that they're tired or they're going through some kind of development, busy brain period. Uh, But complete darkness or as close to complete darkness is the most ideal sleep environment that we can create.
0: So that includes, if it's as an example, during the summertime when kids... uh, go to bed earlier than it gets dark because it doesn't get dark till later nine. Would you put shades on the windows and, uh, and to, and to make the room artificially darker?
2: Absolutely. Make it as dark as possible. Blackout blinds. Uh, I even would put up foam boards behi- or cardboard behind the blackout blinds because light still trickles in around the corners. It, when you put up the foam board or completely black it out, it does really make a difference. And, one thing we probably don't want to tell our kids is, oh, it, it's bedtime when it's dark out because then they can use that against us in the summer hours. No, it's, it's bedtime when the clock says six o'clock or seven o'clock or whatever that magic time is. Now, as a sleep coach, do you recommend having a set bedtime? I recommend having a consistent bedtime. So usually we would want it to fall within about a half an hour window night by night and that when the body is accustomed to being in darkness around a fairly consistent time each night and falling asleep around that time we will our body will start to produce more consistently higher high levels of melatonin for that time
0: so that's a good thing and consistency is a good thing now what happens how would you handle this um uh, my my granddaughter hold on just a second excuse me, my granddaughter will go to school. They'll get her up at eight o'clock in the morning. She'll go to school till noon. Then they'll go have lunch and then she'll fall asleep in the car seat on the way home. And then mom's tired. So mom goes to take a nap and baby doesn't get up till three or four in the afternoon. And then doesn't want to go to bed at night. How would you fix that? What would you suggest that they do?
2: Yeah. So that's a hard one. Cause sometimes we get into these patterns where, of survival, we're going to let them nap because they're quiet and it gives us a break and a bit of that mental rest or maybe a nap ourselves. So we do it, but then they release sleep pressure in the middle of the daytime, which means come nighttime, they have not yet built up that peak amount of sleep pressure until midnight. So now we have a child who's napping late, releasing all that sleep pressure, can't fall asleep until midnight. Then we have to get them up early in the morning, they've only had seven, like six, seven, eight hours of sleep. Instead of at four, we usually want, if they're still napping, we would probably want nine to 10 hours of night sleep. A lot of kids aren't napping at four. And then we want to see a closer to 10, maybe 11 hours of sleep at night. That's
0: because she is so darn tired after school. Mm-hmm that that she just naturally falls asleep, but then it's a self repeating pattern because then she's not tired when it's midnight, one o'clock, even to two o'clock in the morning and uh so how do
2: they break that cycle? Yes, yeah, so sometimes it can be a hard cycle to break because we're in survival mode at that point, and by that point in parenting, we are tired, they have worn us down, so usually what I would do is I would try to drastically shorten the nap, keep it to hopefully no longer than 20, 25 minutes. When we keep the nap shorter, they go through a lighter part of the sleep cycle, but not they don't go into the deeper, more restorative sleep, which releases more sleep pressure and can push bedtime significantly later. So a 20, 25 minute nap might bring bedtime to maybe nine or 10 o'clock instead of midnight. So not our end goal, but it's an improvement. We let them adjust to that. Over a week or so, their body will start producing higher levels of melatonin after one to two weeks of the earlier bedtime, the earlier time being exposed to darkness. And then after that week or two, now we're getting maybe eight or nine, maybe 10 hours of sleep at night, then we can hopefully remove that nap.
0: Well, you just said probably the most significant thing, and tell me if this is what you meant to say, is that part of it rests with mom's ability to regulate that and not to have enough self-control to not then go to sleep for three hours herself while the baby is sleeping. Um, So she needs to stay up and to regulate the child's sleep so that they can redo that and refix that pattern.
2: Is that what I heard? That is part of it. And if we're at that level of depletion, which I I have absolutely been there, it's seeing, do we have anyone who could come in and keep my child awake while I still go have that nap just to get through this rough patch? And then having a plan in place because making those changes without knowing how it's going to get better, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, we're not going to just sign up for less sleep without knowing it's going to get better, but having some guidance or knowing this is a solid plan. I'm doing this for this many days. This is the progress I should expect to see. And then we have make the next step. Sometimes having the solid plan helps give us the motivation to push through the the rough patch.
0: So just, just to say, well, I don't know why she's staying up till two o'clock in the morning. She had a four hour nap, but I guess that's, you know, <laughs> I do a lot of parents
2: not put two and two together. I think some do, but again, we get to that point of depletion and exhaustion where we kind of know what we're doing might not be helping, but we're just so tired. If we have an opportunity to get that sleep, we would almost sell our kidneys for an extra hour <laughs> uh, of sleep.
0: Well, gee whiz, <laughs> that, that, that is extreme. Uh, but I understand and it would be very helpful then if she had like a girlfriend or uh, her, her mother they live in they live in england and they're on an air force base and so they just need to have a friend who can come over and watch the child and play with her so that she doesn't necessarily fall asleep in the middle of the day so that she can then fall asleep at night which is what she's going to have to do because next year it's eight hours of school and so it's going to become even more difficult and more difficult so
2: absolutely or even if if she knew she had a solid plan going in. I'm going to do this for this week. Knowing it's shorter term can be helpful to push through. Sometimes when we're just treading water and just trying to survive, it's really hard to make those steps.
0: Well, there you said it again. You got to have a plan. And a lot of people don't plan for for those eventualities.
2: No, I don't think anybody expects to still be tired after four years of parenting. We, we understand that it's going to be rough in the newborn phase, but then we expect to sleep again at some point. And some kids figure it out on their own. Some babies will just start sleeping longer stretches and some don't for a very long time or until parents make some shifts. And
0: I hesitate to even ask this question, but it is relevant. And and that is, so if, if, should you, or do you as a sleep coach look to the behavior of the parents and also the stress level within the house? And because my youngest son, they had a dog move out because the stress level was high. Um, So do you look at that as well? Because it's, it's a holistic approach that you
2: take, right? Absolutely. So I I look at everything and I don't, I don't blame a parent for being where they are. Are or not knowing what they don't know. I was there too, where I wasn't making the best decisions because I lacked knowledge about baby sleep. Sometimes we take what we know about adult sleep and try to apply it to these little people where it's just not relevant. But yes, we talk a lot about what creates a foundation for great sleep. A lot of it is understanding sleep cues, understanding normal expectations, we all have friends whose little ones slept, you know, eight hours from birth and then we expect <laughs> our babies to do it. So understanding that that's not the norm. And if we are outside the norm, how do we get there?
0: You know, a lot of, a lot of people will say that. It's like everybody tells me their baby slept for eight hours and it was fine and I can't get two hours to sleep myself. So do, do you feel, <laughs> I imagine you feel inadequate and you're not a very good parent if that's not happening, but it may not
2: have anything to do with you. That's like winning the lottery. It's not an expectation yeah. to have a newborn that comes out sleeping that long. Some do. I've met people who have those babies. I've never personally experienced one. <laughs> I did have one friend who her little one was five weeks older than my little guy. And at a very young age, she would just he'd be in a little bucket car seat in the living room and she'd just rub something soft on his cheek and he would just go to sleep. Like, what is that? Some kind of party trick? You know, <laughs> me with my baby screaming at me in my arms as i'm trying to like rock and sing and cuddle and get him to sleep for two to four hours a night um it yeah was not an easy process
0: well i i admire you for for doing this and it it impacted you so much that you are helping other people get through what you didn't have any coaching to get through
2: well i wanted to give people an alternative to cry it out when my little guy was five months, he he cried for the first five months of his life because of the fractured clavicle and reflux and he wasn't sleeping. And at five months, my doctor said, okay, well, once he's six months, you can just let him cry. I was like, it took me five months to get this baby to stop crying. I'm still traumatized from the five months of crying. I still go into a panic attack hearing somebody else's baby cry. Like, I can't do that. But I didn't know that there was there were any alternatives to just letting your baby cry because nobody's out there saying that they're they're in between ways we can support our babies with big emotions so i thought i either had to suffer or let him cry and neither was really sustainable and after i did my training to become a gentle sleep coach and found that middle zone where yes we can still offer support through this process I saw my doctor for another checkup, and she says, oh, so what's the secret? How do you get babies to sleep? So she had just been giving advice that had been passed down from her parents. <laughs> Most doctors, actually less than 18% of doctors have formal uh, education on pediatric sleep.
0: I, I found that, that there are lots of areas where doctors just don't get much training. Nutrition is one of them. Um, sleep is another, and, and- pediatric sleep unless you're a pediatrician now pediatricians i gotta think have got a better clue than most doctors or am i is that not quite right
2: they're not necessarily trained in behavioral strategies to improve sleep with babies even our pediatrician said just let him cry (sighs) that, (laughs) that had to be
0: a very frustrating piece of advice to get from your family doctor
2: well, it was frustrating because with my background in psychology, I understand the importance of building and protecting attachment, especially in the first few years of life. And we do that by responding to our babies, not by shutting the door, walking away, coming back in the morning. That just did not make sense. But the, the thing with attachment, we, protect, we build and protect attachment by responding. It's not necessarily about fixing. We can still set boundaries. We can say no. We're not going to do this right now, or we're not going to do it quite your way. And there can be emotions around that, and we can offer comfort and support through whatever frustration comes up, without necessarily changing the boundary. And we still protect attachment by that response. You
0: know, it's interesting because you we think at least I I thought before I had kids that when you're a month old, two months old, three months old, that you really don't have a thought, that you really aren't really, but they still go through frustration. They go through, they're hungry and nobody's feeding them. They're wet and nobody's fixing it and all of those things. And they still
2: go through all of that, don't they? Not in the first few months. In the first few months, wants and needs and frustration and the light is too bright and it's bothering me or there's too much noise, that that all can put them into a bit of overwhelm or crying and it's not as distinct. But once we get past the four-month developmental leap that all babies go through, it's often termed the four-month sleep regression. No such thing as a sleep regression. There's just a lot going on in their brains at that time. But we start to see more distinct emotions starting to emerge and we especially see that from six months onwards where frustration is different than being really tired or having a wet diaper or wanting to reach something that's a little bit too far away and not being able to do it. They start to have different sounds and, and different cries and they start to, uh, yeah, they did differentiate between emotions from six, about six months onwards. So this
0: is a whole, I don't think that there's enough information out there about what you've been talking about here. Um, and I think, I think it's great that you're doing
2: what you're doing. Thank you. And I I don't think there's enough information out there either. And that's why I do have a a public Facebook group. It's called Gentle Sleep Solutions for Babies and Children. But I offer lots of live Q&As. I have hours and hours of pre recorded videos on the different types of emotions and the types of body language to look out for and how to read our baby's body language. To know when when do we support and cheer them on, like I'm with you, this is tired, kind of sucks, but we've got this, you're not alone, versus okay, danger zone, my baby's not regulating. I need to intervene and bring them back to calm because they've gone beyond their own ability.
0: That's that's impressive that that you understand that and can and can and can teach it to other folks. And you do that willingly, and I think that's great. Uh, Because everybody needs to sleep and and there's nothing more frustrating than, and and sadly, the frustration that a parent feels can sometimes turn to anger. And they can, that's where the shaking baby syndrome comes from. And some of those things that can be very, very destructive. So it's great that they have, parents have got a place that they can go so that they don't get to that point, I hope.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I can empathize when my my younger two who would scream in my arms at me for two to four hours a night at bedtime, I knew in my head, they weren't giving me a hard time, they were having a hard time, but everything in my body just wanted to put them in the crib, slam the door and like run away. It was so overwhelming to, to deal with. And What's usually under anger is intense frustration or one of our own needs not being met, and that can erupt. And it, we don't want parents to get to that place, and there's so many things that we can do to help babies sleep so that parents don't have to face that.
0: Well, I think it's wonderful that your, your entire career has been about helping people and that that is so that is so cool working with the boys and girls clubs and doing doing what you did and and your your education and stuff so congratulations i think it's i think it's great the work that you're doing and go to blissfulnights.ca and you can find out all about Andrea and her name is Andrea Moore she's a gentle sleep coach she can help you get back to some sort of normalcy in your life with your infant At least, at least you'll understand why they're doing what they're
2: doing, right? Exactly. Sometimes it's just knowing that helps us stay calm, and we know it's going to pass as well. Just
0: got about a minute and a half left. I would like to. I'm going to set myself aside, and I'd like you to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know. The ones that are listening now, or the ones on the podcast and elsewhere.
2: What I really want parents to know is that. Their intuition is the greatest gift and tool that they have through parenthood. They know their baby best. So if they're given advice to do pretty much anything in parenthood, including letting your baby just cry and it doesn't feel right, tap into that. Listen to it. You are your child's biggest advocate. You know them better than anyone else on the planet. I never pretend to know a baby better than their parents do i know sleep but i like to combine what i know about sleep combine that with their intuitive knowledge of their baby and that's how we we get them sleeping
0: and i'll bet you oftentimes they say yep that's exactly what's going on
2: i, I do get that
0: <laughs>
2: I, fig- I figured you did
0: and but you also get thank you andrea you've given this hope that this too will end
2: Absolutely. And I I try to empower parents to understand why they're doing what they're doing, why we're making the decisions we're making in coaching, so that they can can take that knowledge and apply it down the road.
0: Because there is nothing when it doesn't look like there's going to be an end to it, and you're tired, and you get to look forward to being tired for what appears to be the rest of your life. It makes it tough. Andrea Moore, thank you so much for being here. BlissfulNights.ca. Go there, Talk to her. She can help. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. We'll be back Monday at 3. And by the way, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. We'll see you again. Take care.